0: Let's get into the Word of God. Okay, so open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, if you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand. We'd love to get you one, okay? We love that you can follow along. Don't be weird about this. We always hand these out. If you don't have a Bible, grab a Bible. If you don't own one in, at all, you can keep this one, and uh, it's our gift to you. Now, <clears throat> Anthony last week filled in for me because I was away and sick, and I honestly thought it was a phenomenal phenomenal sermon. If you didn't have the opportunity to be here last Sunday, I would highly encourage you to go back and listen. The book of Acts is this incredible narrative and this incredible story of of us seeing God work through the early church to bring about the gospel to all the worlds. And so what we saw last week was kind of this big coming out moment for the church. Right? We saw God come in, give the Holy Spirit a couple weeks back, and then through the power of the Holy Spirit, we saw Peter, the Apostle Peter, come in and preach what we'd say is one of the greatest sermons of all times, at least from an effectiveness standpoint. Because at the launch of this church, in the first sermon given by the church, we saw 3,000 people get saved, okay? 3,000 people got saved after once the first sermon, 3,000 people get saved. Now... This leaves, I'm guessing, kind of a question of, well, what the heck do you do with 3,000 new believers? Okay, like at our launch day back in 2012, we saw two people get saved, okay? And we were really like, what do we do with two people, okay? What do you do when all of a sudden your church goes from around 150 to 3,150 in the span of maybe an hour, Like, right now, I don't know, maybe 300 people here in the room. What happens if all of a sudden 3,000 people got saved? What do we do as a church? How do we get them involved, plugged in, bought in on mission that Christ had already given? What does that look like? I think today we get the answer. Today we get to see what type of small group game the early church had. Like, what what type of plug-in and roots class they were running. Because they had to find a way to get 3,000 people bought in with the work of God. And I think there's tons for us to glean from and learn from here in this text. Now, this is one of the most, I would say, probably one of the most famous texts in all of Scripture. It often gets quoted uh, by different people saying, man, the church should look like this. And this is the way the church should operate. And I think that is true, but to a point. And we're going to talk about the reasons why it should and and maybe some of the reasons why it just won't at the same time. So we have a healthy expectation of what does it mean for us to be the church in 2017 in the city of Flagstaff, Arizona. Now, (laughs) excuse me, I'm going to read the text as a whole. And I want you guys to already begin begin thinking through, what does this mean for us, right? Especially as we have this new transition to the new space, what does this mean for us as a church? And it says this again, I'll read it one more time. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So again, this this text, it sounds so beautiful. I begin to think, what would it look like if a church still kind of lived and functioned like this? Like, as people came in that again bought into this entire culture of the church that we see here in just these five or six verses. In the early church, as they were launching things, getting people involved, beginning to live out the mission that God had given them, what does it look like for us to do that now in this same context? Now, I think there's parts of this text uh, that make sense why we get so excited about them. Right, because you and I, everyone in this room, everyone in this world has been created in the image of God. We talk about that very often here. Right, so that God, when he made you, he made you in his likeness. You're the only thing in the world that is like that. And so this means you are like him in so many ways. God is communal. Okay, so God, before he made you and I, he didn't need us. He made us for our joy, his glory. But in communion, Father, Son, Spirit, he was set. But we now have that ingrained in us. Even the introverts in the room, like, like my wife who doesn't want to speak, right? She also needs People longs for community, longs for connection, longs for stability in that sense. And so I think we hear this type of text and we say, man, that, that sounds incredible. Like that to, to have a group of people and some of you listen, you have your group of friends, right? Well maybe you experience some semblance of this, where you guys I mean you do everything together, you engage with one another, you live life with one another, you share resource, with one another. What does it look like for us to expand that amidst the kingdom of God to the church? I think that's one reason why we love it. I think another reason why we really like this is because um, I think we want security. Like, I think we long to know that we're taken care of and we're supported and people are behind us and we're known and loved in the midst of being known. This community offers that to us. Now, there's some other reasons why I think this is a fearful text because it's not easy. You see, this community, it's not like it just happened. And and I think so much of our culture and our lives, we, we live in such a way where we just expect stuff to be easy and to come to us. And for thousands of years now, we've tried to come up with new invention after new invention to make your and my life easier for us, more expedited. But I would tell you that true, authentic relationship and community is not forged overnight. It is something that has to be invested in and shepherded and cared for and hoped for by its people. And if it's not, listen, it's just going to fall by the wayside. And here's the thing, it has to be all hands on deck. Because reality, if James and I wanted to be good friends, right, and I was just constantly pouring love into James's life, but he was not reciprocating to me, I get burnt out and don't want to love and care for him anymore, right? So here in the church context, if we want to be a people who live like this to support one another, love one another, be around, live life, be on mission, it has to be everyone. We have to resolve the same. This is the way we're going to do life. Like This is the type of life we'll live. We're going to sacrifice for each other. We're going to live for each other. We're going to support each other. So that God be glorified and his mission be fulfilled. Amen? So, so this isn't all hands on that, but that is very scary. It's a difficult thing to promise. I mean, honestly, across the spectrum, we'll talk about this in more in just a moment, but there are wildly different views about all sorts of things in our church. The gospel unifies beyond all of that. But we have to want it to. Okay? We have to, we have to want it to. Now, um, the last question i um, the last thing we need to talk about, I think, before we jump into the text is, well, why, why don't churches look more like this? Like, why is it when we do read Acts chapter 2, we begin to say, like, "Ah, man, that's not us? Or or we have this longing for it to be us, but uh, we really don't know what it means to get there. Like, why is that? Why are the holes? And I think there's a few reasons that are good. There are good reasons why uh, we don't look like this. One is just the environment is significantly different. So if you go to early church times right now, what they're experiencing, what we see in Acts chapter 2, is significant persecution. Right, they are driven into their homes, so if they were going to live life on, on mission, going to be uh, kind of faithful to one another and to God's mission, they had to be with one another. Like, the house church was the only thing available. They didn't have massive congregations where they could come and gather at the Orpheum. And so, no, they, they had temple worship. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But they were gathering in their homes together. The context and the environment are significantly different, and so we don't necessarily have to look at this and say, it has to be this way. The other thing is to understand that some things throughout Scripture are meant to just be descriptive and not prescriptive. Now, this is just a helpful lens to lay over your entire Bible, that there are some things where it's just telling you how things went. Not necessarily saying you, this is, this is how things have to be. Some things are prescribed. Keep in step with the Spirit. Love your neighbor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Pray unceasingly. Some things are just, hey, this is what happened and so learn, glean from. This text is descriptive, not prescriptive. So we can learn from this text. We can learn from the early church. But what is here is not necessarily in and of itself the way church has to look. And I've heard too often, so many people come in, they read this and say, "Ah, hey, you know what, we shouldn't even gather in big spaces on Sundays because that's not what they did. Okay, no, inaccurate. Okay. Some of the text is going to be descriptive and some will be prescriptive. So not all of this is going to necessarily transfer to 2017 here in Flagstaff. Now, um, there's also a reality here that when Jesus left, he said, hey, I'm going to go prepare a place for you, but I'll be back. Now, for the early church, I think there's a reality to them when they hear Jesus say, hey, I'm going to go make this, I'm going to go prepare this place, but I'll be back. My guess is they're thinking like, we will see you next week, right? Right? Like, so, James, I'm coming at you again. Like, if we're hanging out, say, hey, James, man, well, I'll see you soon. Like, I got to go take care of my family, but we'll hang out again soon. He's not thinking, oh, yeah, in 2,000 years, we'll get some pizza, right? He's thinking, well, probably next week. Like, Vince and I are going to get together. He'll text me. We'll, we'll hit each other up, and we'll be back together in communion. I think there's a reality to the early church. where like, he's going to be here next week. We better get after it. Like, we have to change the entire world. Jesus is coming. We better get moving here. Now, this will also come back as a bad reason why we don't look like this in just a moment. But I think there's something we have to understand that they thought Jesus was coming back certainly in their lifetime. Now, for us today, he might be coming back in our lifetime. He he just might. Like, you and I, there is a chance, because he hasn't come back yet, that he could come back in your lifetime but I don't think I expect it to happen that way, although I fully understand it could. I think they had a reality of thinking, yeah, we've got a little bit of time to do this, so let's get moving, okay. Now, I think there is a good handful of reasons why we don't look like this, and we should. And so the rest of our time together, I have 15 reasons. Why we don't look like this. And this goes against every preaching tool or preaching seminar I've ever been to. You do like one point majorly and maybe a couple sub points. I'm giving you 15 points this morning. And here's what I want us to do. I don't want you to overanalyze right now each one of the 15. I want to paint a broad picture over the church to say, hey, let's be honest about our, and critique ourselves honestly about the doubts and the questions and the things that I think hinder us from being the community that God requires us to be for his mission. And so we're going to run through 15 of these things, and I want you just to kind of feel the weight of that. And hopefully this out of that raises up that initial desire to be part of this type of community. Because especially as we think through a move to this next space, an expansion of our mission here in the city, to see Christ's name glorified in every person and every heart across our entire town. Again, it's all hands on deck. So let's look at the first verse. Acts 2, 42 says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. The first thing I think we fail to fully accept, realize, and believe is that the Bible is authoritative and perfect for us. Now, we don't have time to get into all these big terms like inerrancy and the Bible being perfect in its original context and things like that, but let me just say this. The Bible is authoritative it is to be pursued. It is to be poured over. It is to be loved and meditated upon. And it has been something that in our culture, continuously in our churches, that is being divorced away from our Christian lives. It becomes second. It becomes unnecessary. Right? You can just do this without being and pouring through God's word. The Bible is so absolutely necessary, and I don't think we believe it. The Pew Research Center did a study recently in 2014, and they asked a question. They said, Do you think the Bible is completely subjected to your personal interpretation? And they, they interviewed only Christians. Do you think the Bible is only and completely up to your personal interpretation? And one third of the Christians studied said yes. Now, now that's a scary reality. That anyone, you just pick it up and say, Whatever I want this to say is what it says. And that's just foolishness. I think we don't fully believe that the Bible is all that authoritative. And so what it says is kind of more a suggestion rather than the way we are to live our lives. The secondary (coughs) part of that is I believe that the early church, unlike us today, had a good amount of faith and belief in the clergy as being trustworthy. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, okay? They, they said, okay, whatever you have for me, man, I'm gonna, I believe it. Now, let me, very, let me be very clear. I'll be the first to admit that church leadership at times has made terrible mistakes and have done things that have hurt people, that have ostracized people, that have torn people down, that have pushed people away and have not represented clearly what Christ has said about what it means to love and serve people. And if that is your story, I I don't even know how much this means, but I am so terribly sorry that that is part of your story. Like, it saddens me. I mean, honestly, Anthony and I and the rest of the staff will talk frequently about how we never want to be that. We never want to be someone, or sorry, to invest in people and and treat people in such a way that five, ten years down the road, they're saying, yeah, I used to do the church thing But, and then all of a sudden we're part of a narrative. Now some of that we can't control, I understand that, but the reality is, I'm sorry if that is part of your story. That being said, I think there's a reality to the early church as they hear the teachings of the apostles where they say, all right, I will go and live that way. Okay, so, so if you're saying, Vince, that, that we're supposed to get after this, that the, that the true context for your and my life is, is mission, right? Is, is bringing people underneath the banner of, of God, right? To tell people about the love and the sacrifice of Jesus in every context of life. Now, you can either say, oh, that's just crazy, that's just, a, or, or you can even hear me say, like, hey, you should trust the leadership of your church more as a power grab or something. And he's saying, like, hey, make sure you believe me more. I, listen, I have no bone in my body that cares that if you believe me, except for the fact that I hopefully think that what we preach here on Sunday mornings, whether it's myself, Anthony, Randy, or anyone else that comes up, is straight from Scripture to move the people of God to glorify Him and bring about His mission in this world. But the reality is is that if we constantly are saying, well, I don't really trust that and I'm just going to pick and choose. Instead of saying, I'm part of this community, I'm part of this body, I'm part of this church. And so God, you are going to use then the leadership to communicate goodness to me, to shape me and make me more like yourself. What does it look like for us as a church to begin to do that? And and hear me, I, I don't even, I don't get a chance to know all of you. Okay? So, so maybe it's not even me, just begin to have and believe that the people that God has placed over your life, whether it be at this church, another church, in another city, wherever, that God is using intentionally to invest well in your life. All the while making sure everything they're saying is from a Bible that is authoritative and trustworthy and true. Okay? The third thing I think that we miss is the communal context of, hum- of human flourishing. Now, we live in a culture that is consistently and always moving more individualistic, right? That's saying you are fine on your own. And the reality is that that's just never in Scripture are we given a context where this life is meant to be lived by ourselves. That every letter that's written in the New Testament, right? That that every story from the old, that every aspect was written to a people who were to live this out together. Yet we all live in a culture that says, don't worry about others, focus on yourself. Now, I think we've bought into that. And so it's really hard to hear, like I'm supposed to pour myself out for the people around me when you can't entrust or believe that they're gonna do that for you. Again, this only works if everyone who loves Christ says, yeah, you know what, like I'm gonna do that. I will pour my life out for this community because I know they're doing the same for me. The gaps and the hurts and the pains exist when, honestly, a lot of times it's just one party or the other or no parties in general. And everyone just feels they have to go at it alone. If you're here and your mentality is, I got this, I don't need others, and you love Jesus, I'm going to ask you to revisit the Bible because it's just not accurate. You need biblical community. So find it. Whether it Listen, whether it be here or some other place, find biblical community. The fourth thing I think we miss is the importance of communion. In other words, the importance of constantly, daily reflecting on the gospel story. Now, you guys come here on Sunday mornings. A lot of you, I see you pretty consistently. Right? And we always try and come back to, hey, this is what Christ has done to bring about sufficiency to bring about forgiveness to bring about love in his presence in your life the gospel story and so we hear it at least once a week you need to be pouring over the reality of what Christ has done for you every single day if not every single minute if possible That every day, every moment, you were reminding, Jesus, I did not deserve this, but you came and lived the life I could not live, died the death I deserved to die, and raised on the third day to grant me new life, hope, and power. Like, if that's not just running through and churning through your brain, it makes this impossible. We have a statement here that says we want to be gospel-centered, outward-focused, right? That everything we do is centered around the gospel. This good news that says you don't have to prove or earn it any longer. Christ has already done it for you. So constantly reminisce on what he's done. The last one is uh, I don't know if we really believe that God hears us and acts. Like, at least... And I I, I say that from my own, probably, personal angst based on how often I pray versus how often I just depend on my own capability. If I truly believed, hear me, if I truly believed uh, that God hears my prayers and then he acts in his perfection, then I feel like I'd be talking to him far more than I do if I truly believe that I am always in complete necessity to be sustained by him, I should certainly be talking to the sustainer far more than I do. So I doubt, I wonder, if across the church landscape today, if we truly believe God hears us when we pray, that God desires to have that interaction with us, that God engages and acts in his perfect will. Otherwise, I feel like we pray a bit more. Now I have a little two and a half year old, for those of you who don't know, his name's Finley. And he is an awesome little dude. And we've been trying to teach him about how to pray, you know, like and what prayer looks like. We pray with him every night. And the other day, Verity, like we're all sick, our whole house is just a mess right now. Finley had bacterial infections all over the place a couple weeks ago. And then I got, and so, man, my wife has been sick, and uh Yeah, I love you. Um, <laughs> And a lot of it has been. I'll just. What you guys are gonna find eventually because my wife is pregnant, and so um, thank you. Yeah, yeah, and so we're uh, we're like eighteen and 18, 19 weeks into this thing, and, um, and you know, for that first trimester, on probably about the first f- first fifteen weeks, there was just a good amount of nausea and sickness and a lot of things that come along with making a human in your stomach. Okay, and so um, so I'm told, and so. Um, and so one one night, and this has now happened multiple times, Verity's not feeling well. And so I'm just like, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. That stinks, you know, like you can do it, you know. And uh, and then all of a sudden, Finley, my little two-and-a-half-year-old, walks around the kitchen island and comes to me and, you know, tugs and looks at me He goes, Daddy. <laughs> he goes, Mummy sad. We pray? Oh. We, we pray? Like he does like this, like, you know and and in the moment i was like god you that's brilliant i love you let's go pray and also i'm like i hate that you're a better christian than me you know like i'm just like man you're you're so holy you know i'm just giving like these tacit words of advice when the sustainer of the world the one who created my wife and is creating life in my wife's uterus she is that a weird word to use her stomach, <laughs> I can talk to him and ask him to work, or I can just say stuff, and I should, listen, don't, don't, men, especially with your wives and vice versa, like, still say encouraging things, still try and be, uh, you know, caring and loving, but talk to God, right, like, pray for each other, you sh- it shouldn't have to take my two-year-old son coming and say, hey, moron, like, pray for your wife. Yeah, man, if he says it that way, that's going to be awesome. <laughs> and in that moment, honestly, I'm mean being like, I doubt, I doubt you, Lord. I doubt you hear and care and act. Because if I really believed it, that would have been my first flinch, too. Okay. And so we want to be this type of people. I think it's, it's not just, hey, don't muster your way and say, hey, just pray more and figure it out. No. I think we need to adjust what our hearts and minds believe about the sovereignty and the goodness of a God who called us to pray and talk to him unceasingly. Okay. Uh, The next verse. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs are being done through the apostles. Um, Awe came upon every soul. When was the last time you were just in awe of God? Were, Were God's majesty... God's magnificence brought awe to you. Where you just thought, man, I, I cannot even believe I get to know you. I cannot believe what you've done. I, I look at this, and man, it just makes me understand the depths of who you are. And I sit in awe of you, Lord. When was the last time you had that experience? Because my, my guess is, and I, we see it throughout Scripture, but there seems to be this constant state of awe amongst the people of God. Not this presumption of Him. Like, of course you're going to take care of, it, and of course, No, but this constant awe of, Lord, really? Like You did this for me? God, you're holding the world together. You spoke the earth into existence. You breathed life into man. When was the last time we sat in awe of God? Number seven, I don't think we believe that God does miracles all that much. I think every once in a while, listen, there, there's somebody in the room, actually, I know you don't believe he does them at all. Like, they just don't exist, okay, anymore. And, and, listen, again, there's theological debate in that. That's fine. I think he does. I think God is a God of the miraculous. Honestly, and it's not just in... These crazy, you know, that crazy but out you know, signs and wonders. I think every day is, is a miracle because you and I don't deserve to be here. Okay. Every day is a miracle because he spoke you into existence with his voice. Okay. But also I think God does some of the things that maybe in this world we would deem miraculous. I think God does heal. I, I think He I think He comes in sometimes and He says, You know what? Healed. Like I think that happens. And we're going to talk about this more next week, because we're going to see a story of the apostles walking and healing a crippled man, okay? And I'm going to share some stories from my own past history of where I kind of lived in this, I don't know if God works that way anymore. And then I just saw it, and then I kind of got confronted with, well, what do I do now when I didn't believe it? And then this dude's now walking when he wasn't supposed to be walking, and it just kind of threw everything into this little frenzy in my mind. God is a miracle worker. The greatest miracle of all is that we get to spend eternity with him. That he came back to life himself. God is miraculous. And so if we want to see these things, want to be this church for the sake of his mission here in the city, again, I think there's an adjustment that needs to happen in our mind and our hearts about what we believe God is capable of. Next, verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, the book of Acts, and we've talked about this already a little bit, the book of Acts has a tremendous amount to say about unity and about reconciliation amidst very different communities across all sorts of lines. Racial, ethnic, philosophy, gender and on and on and on. And the gospel is the unifying piece that brings it all together. Okay. See, now this idea, they had everything in common. Now that in our world today maybe sounds more difficult than raising someone from the dead. Because when I watch the news or I scroll down my Facebook feed, it's tough. It's tough to say, hey, all these people, and listen, I got a litany of Christians on all ends of the spectrum, right, and all sorts of backgrounds, and we don't seem to have a ton in common. I don't know if we truly believe the gospel is all that unifying. I think we tend to rather just kind of gravitate towards, well, this is, this is kind of what culture says, so... And I align more on this side of things and, you know, I align more over here. And so I guess we'll just exist in these spaces. Instead of saying, no, 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 God has doing something constantly beautiful where he brought about this crazy spectrum of belief here in this place. Like if we, I, I almost, I know so many of you that if we just divided the room 50-50 based on all sorts of agenda items, it would be split. Like it would just be, it would be like half of you over here and half of you over here. And I would just constantly want to remind us that the gospel says all that stuff is extremely secondary. The gospel is unifying for the church. We want to be a church, we want to be a people that reach out and care for this city well hear me, don't, don't check your convictions at the door. Bring them in and just see that the gospel is more powerful than them. Okay? I'm not asking you to leave behind uh, any aspect of who you are or what you believe. I'm just asking you to let, allow the gospel to be paramount above your preference. Okay? If we want to be this type of people. Okay? Next, verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had Need Now, some people just really hate this one, right? So this group of people, they're all gathered together. And they're looking around, and here's what they see. They spot need, right? That, that someone in their community is lacking in some need. And so someone over here says, I see that. I have this. Let me provide for that need. It's not all that complex. It's we have some stuff. People have some needs. Where can we match those two things up? A good friend of mine, one of the pastors down at Redemption Tempe, he has this exercise that he does all the time where he takes two sets of index cards and on one set of index cards, he writes all of the brokenness he sees around him. Whether, and it's, sometimes it's macro level stuff, sometimes it's micro, like, hey, my neighbor needs this, right? And then he takes the other set of index cards and he writes down all of his resources. He's like, well, I got this much money in the bank. Uh, I own a car. I have, you know, and on and on and on. And what he'll do is he'll shuffle uh, each deck up and then he'll just randomly pull one from each deck and hold them up to against each other. He says, my neighbor has this need and I have a community of believers at my side. How do I use this to reach this? And I love that vision because you and I are chock full of resource that we can pour into other people. Now, some of us are in the room and we're on the other end and there's just significant need. If that's you, you gotta let us know. I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with many of you in the room where, men are like, yeah, six months ago I was walking through this. It was really difficult. I said, man, where, why didn't you tell us? Like, we're supposed to be part of that. From the very beginning, when God was calling together a people in Genesis chapter 12, when he was telling Abraham, I will bring a people together. He says that that people will be blessed to be a blessing to others. Right? That you and I have so that we bless. That's the purpose of your possession to steward what God has well. Now, I think some couple of the doubts that exist in there is, um, I think that we, we doubt that God is truly provider and that we actually earned everything we have. Now listen, at some level you did. Some of you, you worked real hard, you got, I get that. But at the end of the day, God is the provider of all things. He has given you every resource that you own. You didn't, you didn't do it. Like You didn't create money. You didn't, God is provider in all things. Um, the second part of this is that the church then is also a provider. I doubt, I think we doubt that God provides everything for us, and I think we doubt and misunderstand our calling to provide for others. And in these two things, as these work together, I think then we can honestly take a, take a shot at being this type of people. Now, this isn't poverty gospel, and it's not prosperity gospel. It's Christianity. It's Christianity. It's believing, God, you're going to take care of me. And so I'm going to take care of others. That a lot of times that the provision that God wants to give to those who are in need is supposed to come through you. And so we can't hoard it. Okay. So find what this means for us to navigate well. Okay. Um, verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Um, I think, as Hebrews tells us not to, I think we forsake the gathering of the brethren. I think we think this moment is not all that special. This is tremendously special. And not not because it's redemption. Uh, not, not because uh, we have good music or, uh, or good preaching or we have good kids ministry or we have good community. None of that. It, it's special because... God deserves all of our praise and worship. And we have the opportunity to gather together and let him know that every minute that we're here. That's why this is special. That's why every Sunday morning, man, I love being here. And it's not because I get to do the talking. I love being here because I love being with my brothers and sisters and talking about the goodness and greatness of God. Living in worship and thanksgiving of him, this is a privilege to be here. Yet I think we forsake the gathering of the brethren. This is a special time because we get to be together and we get to talk about Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Special time for us. Okay, Um, and then I think this other one is um, I think we doubt that God is sufficient. And I want to just paint a quick picture of these people here. So they're they're experiencing significant persecution. They're constantly having people. Let me just, especially okay, if you if you have your own home, right? You own your home, Uh, and, and all of a sudden, all the time your neighbors were coming over, right? So like every day, they're knocking on your door, hey man, can I hang out? And they just walk in. They begin to eat your food, okay? Uh, They go through your stuff. They don't take their shoes off so the carpet's all dirty. You gotta clean afterwards, right? And on and on, every single day, you have this type of communal life. Uh, If you're like me, you begin to hate those people, right? Like, please never come again. But see, see, what we have here is this, this beautiful picture of the community saying like, okay, I believe that even in the midst of this chaotic life now, of, three, of trying to graft in 3,000 new believers, of constantly having people in my home, of constantly trying to deal with the fact that I might be killed because of my faith right now, because persecution is crazy rampant during the early church in the book of Acts. It's amazing to me that then they would come before and say, you know what, man, I'm just really thankful for food with glad and generous hearts. The type of contentment and belief in the sufficiency of God that would allow for this type of, you know what, I'm just glad I get to eat today. Because they know that God is more than anything this world contextually can ever offer us. Last verse. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I think we doubt the church's impact on culture. Or the opportunity that the church has to impact culture rather. Um, there's a quote that I read from a magazine. Our, our old friend Caroline Sleeper, who many of you do know, uh, she she has this like creative studio thing she does, and she'll do you know like the cursive writing thing on a board uh, that people like it's all the you know the craze right now. And so she wrote this quote on a board. Some of you are like, I love that. Um, she said, or this is commentary on something she wrote. Said, we just love this week's print from Caroline Sleeper. From CS Creative Studio. It says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And it says, what an interesting way of putting things into perspective. We just love this quote from her. It's just so inspiring. Okay. Now, I want to be like, that's the Bible, right? Like, so, so people are like, okay, man, that, that just sounds so great. Where did you come up with that? Jesus! Like, see, <laughs> Jesus, this is Jesus. I just want to scream it like I just did. The wisdom and the goodness and the love and the ethic of the Bible and of the kingdom of God is intoxicating to a world who is watching. I just don't know if we think it it matters that much. I don't know if we realize that the world is constantly trying to watch. Man, what's the church going to do? How is it going to love? How is it going to step in? Is it going to pursue the way it seemed Christ pursued? Is it going to treat people the way Christ treated people? The impact of the church, or the opportunity for the impact the church can have in culture is significant. But we have to do it together. Okay? We have to do it together. Um, this next one is uh, number 14. Two more. Okay, hang in there. Um, I think we, we doubt the impact, the necessity. I think we undersell the need for uh, evangelism and our belief in eternity. Okay. I, I have one time, I'm not gonna do it today. I remember when I was working down at, at Redemption Gilbert, uh, I remember asking our group there, there was probably about 150 of us in the room, I said, how many people have ever told someone else about the gospel? I mean, just real bare how many people have, have told, or have you told, Jesus loves you, He died for you, he raised for you, and he loves you and wants to be in communion with you now and forever. And I can't, like, I think it was like two out of 150. Now, I I don't know everyone's story here. Maybe you guys are the greatest evangelists and our church is crushing I don't realize it. But I would say across the church landscape, we are lacking in telling people about the goodness and the love of Jesus. I think we're also then lacking about telling people and living out the implications of what that gospel means in the way we serve, love, and care for everyone around us. The least of these and the most of these, everyone in between, letting them know that the gospel has something for them as well. And I think it's because we have a very distorted view of eternity. Now, this is honestly growing more and more unpopular in our culture, but hell is a real place. Scripture is chock full of references about it. And I'll just say this, it is not where you want to be and it's not where anyone you say you love would want to be. And yet people are going there every day and we don't care that much. I don't care that much. I just don't because I pass people every day and don't tell them about the saving work of Christ. And I I feel lame about it, man. Like I and I, this, I just feel like wait a minute. I believe something theologically that says that when someone leaves this world, they will live for eternity in one place or the next with God or without, in heaven or in hell. And yet, I am silent too frequently. I was talking to a guy once in a coffee shop, and I. It was recently, it was after I'd seen uh, The Force Awakens. Have you guys ever seen that one, Force Awakens? I'm about to do a spoiler from that, so if you don't want to hear it, you better plug your ears, okay? In The Force Awakens, Han Solo dies, okay? Now, <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're serious, because um, that's your fault for not seeing sinner. And I'm talking to this guy, and it was shortly after it came out, and him and I are just having a conversation, Uh, I'm I'm sorry, I'm having a conversation with this guy and this guy's sitting next to us. And we're talking about the movie and I said, man, it's crazy. They killed Han though, right? And this guy next to me flips out. He just gets so angry and upset at me and so distraught for like literally the next hour. He keeps going, I can't believe this. I just can't believe this. I'm like, what? He says, I can't believe that you told me that Han's gonna die. And I said, hey man, like, can I ask you a question? And I said, I know this is going to come across as just kind of me trying to Jesus-juke you. But do you know many people are going to hell today? He said, I, I mean, no. I said, well, do you care? Because you seem far more distraught that you found out a spoiler from a movie than that people that you know and walk by every single day are going to spend eternity without God. And let me be very clear, like, uh, this is not from a judging spirit. This is from a convicted spirit of just like, man, come on, Vince. You believe this stuff, right? So I'm just more sharing my heart with you. Maybe, again, I can't judge any of you. all I don't know, maybe you guys leave here and you just start preaching everywhere. Like, maybe that's your life. It's not mine, and honestly, it should be more like that. If I actually believe what I say I believe. Penn and Teller, if you guys are familiar with them, magician, they're like raging atheists. But Penn has said, and he's, he's gone on record as saying, listen, if you're a Christian and you believe what the Bible says about hell and you don't tell me about Jesus, how much do you have to hate me? And this is from an atheist, right? Saying like, you believe I'm going to spend eternity in hell. If you don't tell me about Jesus, how much do you hate me? And I hear that, and I'm like, come on, man. So hear me. That sounds like this super, like, guilt-driven, get-your-act-together church type of thing, and I don't mean it that way, but I'm just trying to share my own conviction here. That there was something happening in the early church that when Jesus said, hey, I'm going up here, but I'm going to send down my Holy Spirit. Now bring the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That he was not kidding about the necessity of his people preaching the gospel to the world. And I believe this stuff, so I have to live it. Okay. The last point is, I think we don't believe that Christ is coming back. At least not anytime soon. And listen, I, I don't know. I'm not that guy that's going to say, hey, it's coming. Like, I, I just, I'm not. I've, I've had some conversations with many of you in here who get upset that I'm, I'm not as vibrant. Like, yeah, hey, it's coming like a year or ten years. I, listen, I don't know. But I do know it's coming. And I know that every aspect of what Christ preaches about him returning says, you better be ready. You better be alert because it is going to happen. So what, does, so what that tells me is that everything we just ran through, this entire triage of us as a church, us as individuals who want to live like this for the sake of the city and the gospel, that it has to say the time is now to analyze and act. Like it's not something you can just wait next week for because next week is not guaranteed. Whether because you don't know if you'll still be alive, I don't know if I'll still be alive, And we don't know if Jesus will just come back and it'll be game over. So that makes this imperative. It makes our lives put in a context of saying, all right, like, this is 80 years in the span of eternity. What am I doing with it? And all I'm asking you, if you're here and you're a Christian, is just to live up to what you believe in. I'm not asking any more, any less. To, to honestly take in, man, what, does, what does Scripture say? What did it mean to be this early church? What were they about? And that craving, I think that, that cool desire that, that I often hear from people like, man, I wish we were like that. I wish we were like that X2 church. I mean, there's some things that I think on the internal heart level that we need to have dialed in before we could ever look like this for the sake of this city. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to post all 15 of these this week on, you know, Facebook and the website and all that stuff. I would encourage you, you, you and your families, you and your roommates to sit down and have these conversations to go deeper on these issues. Because obviously we just skimmed the surface. Well, that sermon is a 15-week series, easy. But I meant it important for us because we are getting ready to make a big transition next week. And honestly, every time there's a transition, you all know this, there's kind of this catalyst moment where we can say, all right, we're going to use this momentum to carry us into something better. And I want that for us. Like I want us to not just be satisfied with filling a room on Sunday mornings. I want us to be satisfied only when we're filling the city of Flagstaff with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is through word, that is through deed, that is through your work. being I mean, all the things we talk about here. We have to do it together. Like, I, I need you, you need me, believe it or not. You need each other. And I do think, I do think this type of thing is possible. I do think, like, I do believe that there is a vision that I've been given that this city will be transformed by the gospel. But it only is going to happen through, through his church. And not just this church. That's why we pray for a different church every single week. Because we know it's not just about us. It's about God using his Christians, using his church to change the world. Okay? So please, like, step in, get involved, be around, get in a community, show show up to the Roots Lunch, find out what it means to be part of this family as we are on mission for the sake of this city. Okay? Amen? Let's pray. Thank you for your grace. So, I mean, honestly, just the definition of grace, I guess, Lord, is that it is undeserved. So, Lord, I guess I just sit up here and I think about the last three years having the opportunity to preach from this pulpit, uh, from this stage, and God, I just, man, you have done So many awesome things here. And so, God, we know that it is not by our power. It's not by our strength. It's not by our goodness, by our winsomeness, God, that any of it happened. It's only by your grace. It's because you love people. It's because you're redeeming culture and you're redeeming brokenness. It's because you went to the outcasts and the sinner and you brought us back. And so, God, we pray for your power and your presence to be in this place, to be in our city and to be in us. That, God, we would be your people for the sake of your kingdom. God, we'd have a ton of fun and joy all along the way. God, help us navigate what it means to be your church in 2017. Times are different. Things are different. Lord, we need your help to figure out what it means to, to just run this race well. I thank you so much for the Orpheum and for Chris and the rest of the staff here the gift that they've been to us these years. God, would you pray that you would bless them, God, that you'd save them, that you would lead them, God, towards yourself. God, and that you'd allow us to just bring your name to bear here in the city of Flagstaff, Arizona. God, we love you, we praise you in your name, amen.